Good morning. Is this still morning? No, it's not good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm so happy you are here. I'm very, very, very excited that we are kicking off a new five-part series here at The Eight called Suit Up. Suit Up. And the subtitle behind this is Divine Armor for Invisible Battles. Divine Armor for Invisible Battles. Because we get this. Our life is super busy, and we're always fighting some type of battle. We're always fighting against something. Some pressure coming from, uh, from coworkers, from bosses, or finance. We're always fighting against something. And, and, and the goal over the next five weeks is how we can equip ourselves to fight the battles that we see in front of us that are visible and even battles that we can't even see that are pulling us down and are tearing us apart of how we can fight some of these battles. Many of us are fighting against something. But my first question that I would love for us to focus on is what are we fighting for? Many of us, we know what we're fighting against. But a question that's always on defense, what are we fighting against? But a, 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 the other flip side of that is what are we fighting for? Just as why we're calling this suit up, depending on the occasion of where you're going, you suit up accordingly. Like I'm going to play soccer, I'm going to wear a certain thing. But if I'm going to a wedding reception, I'm wearing something else. I suit up according and accordingly in order for me to reach success, if you will. Like if I'm wanting to reach success in a soccer game, maybe I'm going to wear a certain thing uh, certain shoes in order for me to, be, uh, to, 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 to reach success. So I have to suit up in order for me to reach success in whatever is in front of me, and the same is case when it comes to the battlefield. I remember um, in, in undergrad, the worst course ever on planet Earth is organic chemistry. So, you know, yeah, so you guys can, some of you can relate. I hated organic chemistry, but my study group, what we did, like most people, like the night before an exam, like would study all night uh, and then go like straight to, to the exam in their pajamas. But we said, you know what? We're not doing that. We're going to study to a certain time. We're going to go get rest. And then we're going to suit up. I literally, I, I know this sounds kind of weird when you think about it. Everyone's coming in like half asleep, ready to take the exam, and they're wearing their pajamas. We came in with a shirt and tie. Like my study group, we came in a shirt, with a shirt and tie. Because psychologically, if you dress a certain way, you, statistically, you have a higher chance of performing better by the way you dress. All right, so this is, this is proven on so many different uh, research studies. And we took advantage of that. We said, okay, you know what? We're going for this exam. We're suiting up, and we're going to put on a shirt and a tie. Uh, and, and I think we did. Well, hey, I mean, I made it. We, so I think we did okay. We did okay. Parents, you're fighting against something for your kids. You're trying to keep them busy so they can fight against whatever's coming, whatever's, whatever's in this world. We're always fighting against something. I want to share of something that I fought for recently this week. So this past week, I went to uh, Orlando. Uh, my wife and I, my parents, we went to, to Disney World. And, like, I'm a huge Star Wars guy. Like, I love Star Wars. So there was this new ride at Hollywood Studios, Disney Hollywood Studios. And, like, to get there, you have to get there super early in order to get, like, a, a pass, like a boarding group in order to get on the ride. So the ride is called Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. It's amazing. It's an amazing ride. So... So, but we had to get there super early. So, like, you know, we set an alarm, I think, at 5.30 or something like that. Um, I know, it was a killer. So, so we, get, we wake up at 5.30. My whole family, like, hated me because I'm the only one that cares. So we're, now we're trying to get ready, get a three-year-old to wake up early at 6 a.m. So for us to get to the park, you know, we drive there, we pay for parking, we get there, and we're waiting in line. Literally, literally, thousands of people are waiting in line. And so everyone was in a horrible mood. Like, my, my parents were about to kill me. My wife was definitely going to kill me. And then also, my three-year-old daughter was going to kill me as well. <laughs> this was her face at, at, as we're waiting in line for an hour and a half for this ride.
This is what we were fighting for. But I don't want to make light of this. I mean, I, I am making light of this, but I want to go on something else. We're all fighting for something. We're all fighting for something. But I get it. Life happens. There are disruptions. Maybe this morning you had a certain plan in mind, but something happened with the car. Maybe there's no traffic today, but maybe something happened. There's always disruptions. Things never go as planned. The focal point is when th things are always, or something's going to happen. There's always going to be disruptions according to our plan as far as what we're fighting for. But the question is, what is our response to it? Like when things don't go our way, when there's a diagnosis, from a, from, from a big macro level to there being traffic, something has, has up, uh, upset or disrupted your schedule for the day. And I know regardless if it's at a macro level or at a micro level, something serious or not, there's such a wide array of emotions that pull on us. There's one study that showed when disruptions occur, and they're talking about how the resilience, when there's disruption, there, there has to be resilience from our end. That, that was the kind of study, the psychological study I was looking at. And they showed a wide array of emotions that occur. There's denial, there's anger, there's despair, there's acceptance, and then we thrive. And there, that, but that's a whole other subject. That's a psychological study. That's for another time. But hear me out on this. This is our goal of where we're wanting to go over the next five weeks over this series. This is our goal. Our goal is when, when something happens to us in life, when there is a battle that's pulling us down, instead, the, our immediate reflex is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? This is our end goal. This is where we want to get to at the end of five weeks. By the time we get to the Feast of Resurrection, this, by the time we get to Easter, this is where we want to get to. Instead of me saying, why is this happening to me? We want to ask this question. What are you trying to grow in me from this experience? What are you trying to refine in me? How is this equipping me? How am I seeing your presence, the reality of your love in my life? This is where we're trying to get to. It's easy for me to say this, but I know life is hard and hardships come, but how we respond to it, this is how we are trying to equip ourselves to get there. There was an early Christian, and some scholars say he was a relative of Jesus. His name is St. James, the Apostle. So St. James was one of the closer disciples to Jesus, and he began his first interest in Jesus as a skeptic. He, he looked toward Jesus as a skeptic, like he wasn't all in from the get-go. One of the biggest flaws that we make as, as, as people pursuing Christ, sometimes we think, like, these 12 disciples were like, you know, just have, have, have a halo around their head, and they were like, I believe, and they were all in from day one. Many of them were skeptics. So St. James was one of them. He was a skeptic. But as he experienced the life of Jesus firsthand and saw the reality of, God, of, of divinity and humanity in one person, when he saw and experiencing Jesus and experiencing his love, he ended up giving up his life for the cause of the church. And this is what he had to say to an early group of, of Jewish converts who, 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 I mean, they were Jewish that became Christian converts. This is what he told them. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. You see see, see the, 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 the touch of being so personal. I think consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials... He's not saying when you face trials. If, you know, if trials come your way and things, you know, don't go as planned. He's saying whenever, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking 
anything. The word consider, if you take like the word, if you look, if you look up the, the original Greek of what St. James is saying, the word consider, the definition would be leading yourself to put your trust in it. Lead yourself to put your trust in knowing that the trials that come are producing and are equipping within me to have the muscle of perseverance, that I need to lead myself toward that. So, so don't think of it as like, yeah, consider it pure joy. Like, he's not saying it like in a fluffy way like, and just, yeah, yeah, you know, this is good perseverance. This is making me strong. He's like, no, lead yourself to because he knows it's hard. And he's putting it with so much endearment and with such a personal touch, saying, listen, my, my brothers and sisters, I, I know it's tough, but you have to lead yourself and put your trust in it because I promise you, through this fire, through this trial, through, through this disruption in your life, I promise you, this is going to build the muscle of perseverance. And this is what will equip you to fight the visible and the invisible battles that come to you. In other words, he's saying that you are happening to life as opposed to life happening to you. That you are now in the driver's seat. They're saying for, for, for you are happening to life as opposed to life happening to you. It's how our response comes to the brokenness that is all around us. And I get it. I don't even have to ask it a question. We all have disruptions. Things never go as planned. I was just say never. When things do fall apart, it's how do we respond to it. Now, this is super fascinating. Anyone know what locus of control is, by the way? Because I, 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 I quickly just learned about it this week, so I might not, might not be the best. Okay, so we got a couple. So correct me if I'm wrong. So locus of control was done by a study in psychology done in, in the 1950s. And there was an internal locus of control and an external locus of control. So bear with me here. So if I have, an, if I, if I have a heavy internal locus of control, this is, my, this is how, the view of how I view life. Everything is in my control. If I have a strong internal locus of control, that, that, that like how things go in my career or in my health or it, what happens to my kid, that's all on my control. Like how my kid turns out, that's 100% on me. It's, it's, it's all about me. The, the, where we are financially, that's all about how much I, I it, well, maybe not me, but you get it. It's all about what I do. Like it's all, it's, it's all in my control. That's, in, that's a strong internal locus of control. Then there's also an external locus of control. External locus of control is saying, you know, I mean, I'm just going to sit here and whatever happens, happens. You know, there's a lot of things that I can't control. And, you know, and, and, and we kind of make it, we, we, we make it very Christian. Whatever God's will is, you know, if, if it wants it to happen, I sit there. And I, I just passively sit there and let things come. The trick in this temporal world is finding the balance between the two. Knowing that there is a locus of control internally. There are things on my part. But there are, is an external locus of control as well. There's things that are out of my control. And finding the delicate balance between the two is where we want to be or we're striving to happen. In ancient Christianity, there is an endless amount of expression of our faith. There's an endless amount of expression of our faith. And, 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 and a, a phrase I would say is that we are in a sacramental church, or our expression of faith is sacramental. Sacrament is an external expression of an internal truth, is an external expression of an internal truth. But you get this in the world. Like, I have this wedding ring. This is an external expression of me being married. This is an external expression of an internal truth that I'm married. This doesn't say that. It's like I took it off. Now I'm not married anymore. But it's an external expression of an internal truth. In the same way, this is, this is how the world is wired, and we get this just from society. So our expression of worship is in the same manner as well. Again, the church is filled with through emotions, through exercises, through the sign of the cross. All of these are external expressions of an internal 
truth. The centrality of our pursuit of God centers around the divine liturgy. And during the divine liturgy, throughout the, 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 the numerous ways of us expressing our faith, there is a part of the divine liturgy, as we're praying, that the priest holds up this veil. And the priest holds up this veil like this. Like as, as if I'm fe- facing east, and as, as if we're celebrating, I'm holding the, the, the veil like this. And I'm covering my, my, my view, I'm covering my eyes, from a deacon holding a cross. I mean, if, if you're not used to seeing this, this looks super tacky, and it's just so weird. And, and especially if we're not used to seeing all these rites and rituals of the church, man, like, what, what on earth is all this about? Like, what are we doing? Can't we just come and worship and sing songs? I get it. But all the depth and the richness of all these expressions of faith is leading to one central point. As the priest is holding this, the priest prays this prayer. As he is blocked from seeing life, as his, as, his, as his view is being blocked by seeing new life, which is given on the cross, this is what the priest prays. Cleanse us. Look at the detail. Look at the detail. Look at the imagery. God cleanses from all blemish. Just any puny thing cleanses from that. Cleanses from all guile. What's guile? Like a cunning or a sly behavior. Cleanses from all blemish. Cleanses from all guile. Cleanses from all hypocrisy. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Cleanses from all of that. Cleanses from all craftiness. What's craftiness? It's being deceitful. Cleanses from, de- from us being deceitful. And the remembrance of vice. And what is vice? Vice bears death. The word vice means immoral behavior. The priest holds this. As his vision is blocked, he said, Lord, cleanse me from anything that's blocking me from seeing your light and seeing new life, which is found only in you. What is this? This is me being deceitful. This is any sin that's blocking me from seeing the love of God in my life. All of us, all of us have a veil in our life that's blocking us, that's, that's pulling us down, that's separating us from seeing the love of God. And this is blocking. The deacon is holding the cross and, 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 and the, the priest is holding this because all of us, not just the priest, all of us have something that's blocking us from being free from, 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 from us, from, for us embracing the love and life that Christ came to give us. And I, again, I could go on, but if you notice, the church is not just saying, take the devil away, he's bad. The church is being so descriptive. And even the word vice itself, like we're, how, would, how do we even describe the Satan? We just say, oh, the devil's bad? No, we say, deliver us from, from us being, falling into deceit. Uh, 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 deliver us from us being cunning or us giving an excuse to, to my, my behavior, to my anger, to my issues. Uh, avoid me from, 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 from justifying what I do is wrong. Help me, uh, deliver me away from that. Because that, that vice, that immoral behavior that doesn't line up with your ethic, that bears death. That pulls me down. That separates me from how I'm designed to live. That bears darkness. Deliver me from that. Don't fight against the veil. Don't fight against the veil. Be delivered from it. Don't fight against it. Be delivered from it. Here's some 
very cheesy examples. I'm not going to say, you know what, I'm going to eat a Snickers for breakfast, but I'm, I'm not going to get high cholesterol. I'm not going to get diabetes, but I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to be faithful to having a, a Snickers bar every, every morning for breakfast, but I'm, I'm going to fight. I'm going to do it. If, I, if, I, if God's with me, who can be against me? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight the devil. I'm going to do it. If I'm eating a Snickers, how do I expect, if naturally something's going to happen health-wise. I'm not going to get into the ocean when there is high tide and there's waves and the red flag is out and say, you know what, I'm going to fight this wave. I'm, I'm going to make sure that I don't get pulled away. I can do it. I, if I'm going to try to fight the wave, what, why don't I just avoid it altogether? If I want to make sure I don't get diabetes, why don't I just avoid the stickers altogether? This is why St. Paul, the greatest missionary, when he was writing to such a wide array of different cultures and mindsets, and he's writing to one culture that had a very liberal view of sexuality, and he told them, flee from sexual immorality. Like, their expression of, sec- of, of, of sexuality was, was, was very open against the original divine design of sexuality. And, and, and St. Paul tells them, flee from it. He doesn't tell them, well, you know, try to, try to be better. You know, try to be. No, if, if you're going against the divine design, of, of, of how the expression of sexuality is intended to be, if you're going against that, you're, you're only hurting yourself, man. You're, you're only damaging yourself because sex is not just physical. It's so deep. It involves, it involves our psychology. It involves our hormones. It involves every aspect of who we are. So you're hurting yourself at the deepest level. So flee from the immorality of sexuality altogether before you just hurt yourself, man. I'm telling you. I'm trying to protect you. This way, this St. Paul could have used any other word, but he says flee from sexual immorality. He's trying to protect them. For their sake, for them to understand this beautiful and delicate and powerful gift of sex. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he could have told them anything. He could have told them anything of how to pray. But Jesus, in a 40-second prayer, which is the Lord's prayer, in a 40-second prayer, Jesus could have said anything. But Jesus highlights for them to say, deliver us from the evil one. We didn't say, annihilate the evil one. Evil will always be there. Darkness will always be there. But that we pray with boldness, we pray with courage, deliver me from the evil one. Because the evil one bears death and trying to pull me away from how I'm designed to live. Every liturgy, we also pray, lead us throughout the way. Lead us throughout the way into your kingdom. Put respect on his name, put respect on the name of the enemy. We better respect him. We put respect on the enemy. We don't want to dismiss him as if he doesn't exist. And, 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 and like one of the things we do, we always say, oh, that's the devil. Like that movie or that, you know, Harry Potter is the devil. Like we kind of like, like we point fingers at like one thing. And we say, like, that's the devil. Look at the description of ancient Christianity of how we, de- how we describe the devil. It's not just like this one person. We think of it as like a cartoon, a guy with a, you know, a pitchfork and like, a, like red things. Like we think that's the picture of like the devil. He's cunning. He's sly. Respect who the enemy is, but then honor the victor. Honor the one who overcame. Honor the one who removed this sin, this thing that's weighing me down. I need to respect this is pulling me down. I need to respect this is what's pulling me down. But then I also need to honor the victor, the one who came to overcome death himself in order for me to have life. I love uh, 
like probably more than sports games, I love watching like the post-conference, like after the post-game conferences. When they're talking, like when somebody, they're asking the same question just 40 different ways to the athletes. And I love just seeing how they respond. And they're very political how they respond. They always honor the opponent. They say, well, you know, they played great. I mean, their defense was on point. You know, like they, they, they had a great three, three, you know, they were really great around the rim. Like they honor the enemy. They give respect to the enemy, the, the opponent. You, you, you know what I'm saying. They give honor to the opponent. So they don't just say, oh, man, they were, that was a piece of cake. They, they, they give honor to the enemy. Not honor, I'm sorry. They give respect to the enemy. If I acknowledge that there is a battle, if I acknowledge there is a battle in this world in which I must suit up to fight this battle, if I understand that there is a battle, then there has to be two options. Like if there is a battle, then that means there's two options that are in front of me that are pulling at me. Like if there's a battle, there are two options. What I want to share now is one of my favorite manuscripts of early Christianity, and it is something called the Didache. It is called the Didache. This ancient Christian manuscript. So after Jesus ascended, the early apostles got together, and they said, wow, like, that was a crazy year and a half. That was a crazy three years. And they started writing down other things that they know was the expression of their faith. They wrote down other things. So they wrote down, for example, that we fast on Wednesday and Friday. They said, okay, uh, recent converts of Christianity, that you fast Wednesday and Friday, that the centrality of our worship is, is around the body and blood of Christ. They said that the structure of the church is centered around, uh, is, is, is with, uh, it was a hierarchy with bishops and priests. They're, like, all this is written out, okay? It's not like we just made up this one day and said, this would be cool to do something like that. No, all this is written. All this is written in, in, within, this is written within the first century of Christianity. This document is written within the first century of Christianity. Their very opening line, their very opening sentence of this manuscript, out of anything else they could have written down, their very first thing, as their mind is kind of like still processing everything they experienced with the life of Jesus, the very first thing that they write, listen to this, the very first thing that they write in this very short manuscript, there are two ways, one of life and one of death, and there is a great difference between the two ways. There are two ways of life. There is darkness, which I was kind of before, kind of doing my own thing. Then there's life, which I experienced with this man named Jesus. And there is a huge difference between the two. We have to acknowledge, if we're moving forward to suit up and fight the battles that pull on us every single day, then we have to acknowledge that there are two, there's two paths that are always pulling at us. Near the end of Jesus' life, he gathered his disciples and was trying to point, like they're, they're on a high horse because of their popularity. But Jesus was trying to tell him, listen, man, all this is about to end. Like, this, 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 like things are about to go down. And he, he tells them about the sorrow that will come, the hardships that will come as, they be, as, as Jesus is prepping them to now be, the, to be his hands and feet for them to establish the church and for them to move things forward. And Jesus tells them this. These things I have spoken to you. Like I've told you about how things are about to go down. These things I have spoken to you. That in me, in the person of who I am, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. There, there, you will have hardship. He's not trying to sugarcoat it. He's not going to say, now you're a Christian, now everything's going to be great, and you're going to just say, thank God all the time. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world.
as we suit up this lit, as we suit up over these next five weeks, as we suit up in our life groups, let us embrace that there are two paths that are pulling at us. And I'm not designed to fight this battle alone. There's a path that leads to life. There's a path that leads to dark. But for us to have clarity on the distinction between the two, these first eyewitnesses of Jesus, their opening sins, as they're still trying to process, they said there is, there's a path that leads to life, there's a path that leads to dark. And there is a huge difference between the two. I must ultimately put my trust in the one who came to give me life. That there is something, there is someone past this. And that one is the one who came to overcome the world himself. Let us stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, every single one of us has something that's just pulling at us, weighing us down, maybe questions we have about this world or things we're trying to figure out ourselves. But God, we want to move in this direction over the next four remaining weeks for us to, to, to fight this battle together and for us to embrace that it's already been won by you, for us to embrace that you are life, that you are light. But we first have to understand that there is darkness, and darkness is so deceiving. Lord, have us to help us to have clarity to know what is pulling us away from you and for us to know that I can't do it by myself that I am called to lean on the victor, you, because you are the one who overcame the world. Through the prayers of St. James the Apostle and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, and Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For those who wish to, to attend the church family meeting about an upcoming